humanitarian. Hi, Abby. You, you, you hear me? Yes. Good. Hey, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. I'm sure we will we'll have a great, uh, great episode come out of this, actually. Okay. Um, but before we begin, there's, there's, uh, there's that big red button I see. On, is that thing on your screen? That's not normally there. Is that... What is that? I think I'm going to press it so we find out what it does. Uh, okay. Okay. Your choice. Okay, Abby. I'm not sure that I that might be bad. I, I'm not sure you want. Okay, it's gone. Are you there, Abby? Yes, I'm still here. You're still there. All right. Yeah, still alive. <laughs> you know what? I think we blew up the sector. Um, hopefully, no humanitarians have been harmed. <laughs> exactly. Pressing of the button. <laughs> Jesus. That, that I I'm a bit. Um... I'm, I'm not saying I'm regretting inviting you to this podcast, but that is a bit more than I bargained for. But yeah, uh, what, what do we do? Well, I think we need to build something from scratch. All right. So we basically have, have nothing left, if I understand the message on your screen correctly. We, the, the sector simply self-destructs. And so where do we begin from here? I think this is, uh, you know, we can we can frame it negatively uh, as kind of like the end of the world, burn down the sector, or we can frame it positively and say that, oh, this is actually a really good opportunity for us to build the kind of um, humanitarian aid sector that we want to see in the world, um, understanding that the, the the past ones were were filled with with um, uh, with stuff that we just didn't like and just didn't work. Um, yeah, I think we should start and get building. All right. So maybe before we jump into building concrete stuff, we should think about uh, what are some of the design principles or spaces that we want to operate within. So, so what what is for you the the point of departure here? Um, I think uh, a good sort of like design principle to to have in mind is to to start with a problem, right? What is uh, the problem that we're trying to solve, or why are we building something in the first place? Um, and in the humanitarian aid sector, um, we want to have it because we recognize that there are crises in the world um, where it affects people and communities. Um, and we want to prevent those crises from happening uh, or to address them when they've already happened. Um, and I think that is a good starting point, um, just understanding the problem. And so what I, how I would say that uh, is in situations where states are unable or unwilling to take care of parts of the whole population, we need to do something. That's an interesting kind of like way to look at it. Um, I think I don't know if, if states are able or unable to do it. Um, we don't know which sort of like country we're, we're talking about or we don't know um, which context we're um, specifying here. Um, I think... You know, like regardless um, whether a state can quote unquote do it or not, um, I think it is a system, right? Um, we've thought about the international humanitarian aid sector as a system before, and systems are comprised of many parts. Um, and I see the state as being part of that system. Um, and so it's not, for me, it's not necessarily that there is international humanitarian system only for specific places where the states don't work. But it's 
it's yeah, it's a kind of system with different actors with one problem to solve, which is um, to prevent any sort of crisis from happening um, and to, to, to help people and communities who are affected by crisis. Okay, so let's just unpack crisis. What is a crisis then? Uh, good question. I think, you know, to keep it simple, a crisis is when um, there is, a, you know, a lot. It's. I know that it's been framed in in the humanitarian sector as a kind of like state of exception, of oh, okay, um, there is a disaster or there is war, and so we can sort of like consider that as crises. Um, but obviously, uh, reality is much more complex than that. Um, you know, there are places with um, complex crises where lots of things are happening all at once. Um, and of course, we also cannot um, kind of like separate out crises from, um, say, non-crisis times. Because what happens in times without crisis um, can determine how or when a crisis occurs, how the population responds. So, um, yeah, maybe to keep it simple, yeah, like a crisis is um, something like uh, a, a disaster um, where people are um, unnecessarily affected or or conflict or epidemics or, or, or something like that. I think, um, yeah, building on a kind of like a common sense understanding of crisis uh, for this episode. <laughs> we, we're not trying to replicate academia here. We're doing a thought experiment, right? So for us, a crisis is when people are deprived of, of uh, their life, uh, their dignity or agency, I would say. It's, I, I actually like the, the good old freedom to be and to do. When, when people don't have freedom to be and to do, then we have some kind of a crisis. It, it, it's, of course, a slightly broader... Uh, I think uh, it's, it's a slightly broader definition than we often use in the humanitarian sector. So, so are we opening up the floodgates here to deal with any sort of development problem? Is there, is there a need to distinguish between development and humanitarian in our new world? I think we should open up the floodgates, and I think we should collapse that distinction. Um, you know, I focused on crises um, because it's a specific experience, I guess, of people um, compared to sort of like just non-crises um, where they're experiencing sort of like poverty. Um, so while I think they're two distinct experiences, um, their causes, their solutions are interwoven. Um, so yeah, maybe, um, I mean, like, that's a good prompt, right? Maybe um, the first thing that we should sort of like reconceptualize in rebuilding the international humanitarian system from scratch is this concept of humanitarian. Maybe we should just um, not call it humanitarian. Maybe we should just call it the international problem-solving sector um, with a specific focus on um, solving the problem of crises in particular, the experience of crises. Maybe problem solvers without borders. I love that. <laughs> yeah, very, it's quite original, I think. Okay, so we, we have quite a broad set of problems we're trying to solve. We are uh, trying to think through how do we put in place a, a system that can help people experiencing a crisis. We don't want a hard sort of uh, a hard barrier between 
protracted development problems and uh, sudden onset crisis. We think we must think these things holistically. And the challenge for us now is to then think through what do we then need to put in place? What do we need to build to be able to meet this rather amorphous, I would say, uh, set of problems that we're trying to deal with? Um, so personally, for me, I would start with um, the people and the communities who are experiencing these crises, these problems themselves. So let's start with them, right? Um, you know, how do they understand the problem? Um, you know, what makes this, what makes crisis a problem for them? And how do they think this can be solved? Or how are they already solving it? Um, so start really starting with, with people and communities. So if I can argue against that, I would say that's all well and good. But if your house is on fire, you don't want the fireman to sit down with you and discuss uh, how do you perceive this fire? You want him to get you out of there. That's true. But then, um, uh, you know, after that act, um, you know, taking this like very small sample that you gave. OK, after that act, OK, you got them out of the fire. Where are you going to put them? Or what are you going to provide to them? Um, how would they like to sort of like proceed from, from, from then on? And even, you know, before the house becomes on fire, you, you know, I think it is, um, uh, you know, for this kind of like brand new system, I would think uh, that we would be asking people how to prevent the fires in the first place, right? Um, so how to prevent the crises. No, absolutely. But but I think we what we know about the world is that no matter how well we prepare, you know, even very very well prepared societies can experience uh, situations that overwhelm their their capacities, right? And and so I think I think what I would like to maintain in, because I I do agree with your overall thrust here that that of course we must start with looking at the agency of the crisis affected populations and that must be the centerpiece of what we do. But there is a subset of situations, you know, the first days after an earthquake, the, a massive flood, the big natural disasters, a, a fire, that sort of, um, that's, that's those sort of overwhelming incidents do, I think, call upon a special skill set, sort of a if you want to operate in a, in a nation-state framework, a sort of a civil protection sort of uh, frame. You need those assets somewhere. I think that's fair. Um, you know, we are, we've just destroyed the humanitarian system, um, but, you know, we're not, um, our, our knowledge remains, right? So if, if we destroy the system, but our knowledge remains, then uh, we know that in these cases, um, it is local people themselves who are um, the first responders um, in any emergency. When there's a fire, it's probably going to be the, the local fire department. When there is flooding, it's going to be um, sort of like the local authorities, the local civil society, um, even just their neighbors, private sector, etc. Um, and it's only um, after, after that that sort of like this so-called international humanitarian sector comes in. Um, and so that's why, you know, for, you know, going back to the example, I think there is already something um, uh, that is happening at that sort of like particular local context that then we can uh, build on. Fair enough. There's always something. And I, I, I fully agree with you. 
the people we tend to look at and talk about as victims are often actually the true humanitarians who do the, the, the bulk of the rescuing and the lifting in these crises. So I, I take that point. And I think actually as we move forward and begin to come up with new things we want to build, I think maybe let, let's try to really keep this in mind that, that whatever we build must serve and, and support and underpin that, that ownership of the community involved, right? And, and if we somehow detect that it's not, I think we need to figure out why that is. Exactly. No, I agree. All right. So we, we have the foundation now. We, we think that crises must, in a sense, I hear also that in, in a sense must be defined by the populations themselves, the way they think about them. Is, is the point of departure here. They shape the humanitarian narrative, if you want. We want them to be masters of their own destiny, and we are there to somehow uh, enhance that agency. I think that, I think that that's the key. So, so how do we then do that? What what do we need to? What kind of resources? What kind of systems and capabilities do we need to have to do that? I think if this kind of like thought experiment is um, set up in the world as we know it today. Um, where uh, inequalities uh, exist between um, different kinds of groups of people and different countries. So it's not like, okay, it's, it's like a blank slate, right? But like if it's happening in the real world at the moment, then, you know, presumably um, some communities or some localities or some context might experience a crisis, but they don't have kind of like the, the resources to... to um, respond to such crises or they don't have the resources to think about um, how to prevent it um, or solve problems. Um, or they might say, ah, we're actually craving for, for knowledge um, and, and sort of like technical expertise that we might not um, have. Like they, they might be very capable of doing one thing, but they, they want to learn from others. And so I think this is where kind of like the, the rationale is for having um, an international system that is connected and uh, that is, um, you know, on the basis of solidarity and cooperation. Um, so I think we can then have a rationale for um, why we want to to interact with each other. Um, and I, I I support this this kind of like interaction between different groups, different organizations, different states, different countries. Functionally. What kind of capabilities do we then need to have available to support communities that 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 don't that can't sort of self recover? Um, I don't know to be honest. Um, it really depends on um, sort of like the situation, right? Um, I think like from a very kind of like um, micro perspective. So going back to let's say a particular community or a particular context. Um, I think this is what we want to kind of like rebuild um, this notion of like standardization of capacities and resources that are required because um, every problem will, will require different things. Um, one of the most interesting things I've read um, before is that uh, it's about the future of work and they're saying that the future of work is going to be um, somewhat like uh, the way that things are done in Hollywood where they have a project in mind that they want to kind of like um, create. Um, then they kind of like all come together, different sort of like parts and different um, people um, and different capacities 
And then once that problem is solved, um, then they kind of like just just disband. Um, it's, I mean, it's it's a flawed analogy um, because obviously we you don't want to kind of like disband immediately. You want to kind of like hold those relationships. But um, I think the insight here is one is what's the problem and what does that problem need? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a great analogy. What I like about it is the agility of the institutional setup. So you build what you need for the context instead of having it predefined. And then secondly, instead of coming to the field with sort of broad spectrum humanitarian approach, the humanitarian Swiss army knife, if you want, you come with a set of the world's sharpest kitchen knives. You come with some really high level specialized capabilities that, that can do the job and that are there for that very punctual insertion and then they leave again. Exactly. Yeah. So, but I think what's interesting to talk about is functionally, sort of in, in a generic sense, what, what are the different chef knives you need? What are the different capabilities you need, right? And so, so for me, one thing is you need somebody who absorbs or connects the international capabilities with the local context. So if you have uh, the world leading expert on, let's say, dam repair or uh, maybe there's an environmental hazard or maybe there is uh, an issue with crops that, that no longer grow like that. Then how do that specialized knowledge, how is that transferred to the, the population? I think, so I think there's, a, the, the, for me, the first type of quote-unquote humanitarian is the connector. It's the person who interfaces with the community and understands what they say, and is sort of the translator or the bridge to the international. Do you buy that? Uh, no, not really. I mean, like, how do you know that they need it, right? Well, you you were the guy who was saying sometimes there will be communities who don't have enough resources or don't. I think you even said, or they don't even know that they have a crisis or something along those lines, right? And so, how do you then engage with a community like that? Yeah. So I mean, like, I guess. I said sometimes, so potentially, potentially that's something that they would need. Um, I guess like, I just want to, again, push back on these sort of like universal notions of, oh, well, we need a connector type. And it, it might well be that a community somewhere experiencing a crisis might need that, but I, I would not say that that is, um, you know, should be um, a part of, of the toolkit, right? Um, I think the, the higher level principle um, makes sense. Um, you want to, you want people to be connected to the resources that they need. Um, and I think said that way and framed that way, I would agree. I don't know how that looks like. Does that look like um, uh, an intermediary organization or even individual from one country that is like embedded in another country? Does it mean kind of like a a a forum where people can sort of like come together and discuss their um, uh, capacities that they can share? Does that mean um, sort of like a, a different governance um, system uh, or improving an existing governance system within that local context? I mean, I don't know. Um, uh, you know, like, so it's, it's, yeah, for me, the higher level principle is great, but I'm not sure about the, the need for this specific individual as a connector. Okay, I think I think you need it. 
actually. I, I think otherwise the absorption capacity will not be there. Uh, the question I was to ask you is, if it's not needed, why doesn't it just happen all by itself? I think there's a lot of assumptions there um, in, in the statement you've said, um, where you said, oh, the absorption capacity is not there. I mean, like, we don't know what we're, which country we're talking about. We don't know which context we're talking about, right? Like, it could be um, the Philippines or Panama or Pakistan, um, and that will have a very different different um, implications um, depending on, on, on where we're talking about. Um, and so, and I would also challenge a little bit on, you know, why doesn't it, happen i think it does um and i think that's one of the major blind spots of the old humanitarian system that we've just destroyed is that it doesn't recognize anything else apart from things that look like look like itself it's very vain to some extent um actually there's so many um you know initiatives happening um in, in different places that are trying to solve a problem i agree with the vanity actually I, I think I think one of the basic problems we have is that that we are able to to shape the humanitarian narrative in the way we want, and that that's not really challenged. And and what I liked about where we started out was that <clears throat> that we said we want that narrative to be shaped by the communities themselves and to be for them to be drivers of that story. I still want to take you up on, you know. On what you just said, because I, I think we have to get a bit closer. Right? It, it's it's all good, well and good, and say to, that context is king, and you can't just sit here and conceptually design capabilities that can be used all over the world. But it's also not very satisfactory to just say, ah, there's no way you can compare the Philippines with El Salvador or with Burundi, or there are things you can compare. There are obvious patterns, and I think. I would hope that we would be able to somehow create a system that that could uh, that could respond and help these communities. But maybe, what are you saying here? That that we can't really do anything, or that we don't need to do anything? So what I'm saying here is that um, I re I think this is the area that we have to push back in because this was the syndrome of the, the old humanitarian sector, which is the this universalizing tendency, the standardizing tendency of there must be some sort of like system um, or there must be some sort, we have to put something new. We have to put something on top. So I, I just want to push back on that. And I think let's focus on the goal. Let's focus, something that you can compare is the outcome, which is a problem solved. Um, so let's let's focus that. Um, let's make our our kind of like um, indicator problem solved. Um, and so if there is flooding, or if we want to prevent flooding, or if there is conflict, or we want to prevent conflict, um, let's not focus on oh well, okay, let's divide peace building this, humanitarian this, development this, um, state this, private sector this, etc. No. Maybe we should be agnostic about all of those and then just see what can solve the problem. And I think, um, you know, it's a very subtle, but I, I think it's a very um, sort of like powerful um, shift in, in the way that we're looking at things. I mean, the, this, this organization, um, the Alliance for Empowered Partnerships, um, A4EP, they released um, a, a document um, uh, about their kind of like reaction or recommendation for the Grand Bargain 2.0 um, because it's the five-year anniversary, right? Um, 
And they used like a, a phrase that I really like. Uh, they're saying that the international humanitarian sector is encouraging this monoculture um, instead of biodiversity. Um, and I think, yeah, this is great. I, I love it. I think, you know, it's not that, you know, there will be things that are common, probably depends again, like on what we're looking at. Um, I, I also definitely acknowledge our sort of like common humanity, um, which is the foundation for why we're trying to help each other. But our expressions of, of our humanity, of our altruism will be, will, should be um, very different, like different. Um, and we should just embrace and acknowledge that. I think once you start digging into the, the root causes of the problems we're dealing with, you very quickly run into factors external to the community affected by crisis. And you somehow need to tackle that. You, you, and so how are you going to address some of the more structural issues if all you have is, or oh, we must sit down and develop a deep contextual understanding of this community's perception of their own crisis and, and build from there? But, you know, you don't want anything on top of that. I think I hear what you're saying. Um, and I think, you know, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be anything that connects um, uh, sort of like the, the resources and capacities. You know, like when I go, go back to what I said earlier, oh, they, they, if they want to share um, sort of like knowledge or if they want to request for resources, then there must be some way to do that, right? So, so fine. Um, I, I guess I'll concede to the point of there must be some sort of like infrastructure. So I don't want to call it system yet, but like there, there must be some sort of um, sort of like infrastructure. Some Lego blocks. Yeah, uh, that enables people to kind of like um, ask uh, for assistance if they want to, um, or or receive assistance if they want to, um, or or share their their knowledge if they want to. Um, so yeah, f fair enough. Good. So what are the Legos we need? I think I don't know at this stage, right? Um, obviously, I don't have the answer. Um, but something that I want to refer to um, is uh, you sent me earlier um, sort of like the design frames of how um, the humanitarian sector can look like. And you mentioned that it can kind of like look like a starfish. Um, and how, you know, you asked me, how can we expand that starfish so that we reach more people and help more people? And um, I don't like this analogy because then it says here that uh, a starfish has a center uh, that anchors um, the arms and then the arms can adapt and regenerate. I don't necessarily think there, there has to be a center. So I think the, the starfish analogy, it's, it, uh... You know, and then there's this great book called the, the, the Starfish and the Spider, right? Uh, that you may be familiar with. But the, the, the unique thing about a starfish is that the arms can live independently and replicate themselves, right? So that actually, if you chop a starfish up into two, it, you know, there, there exactly isn't a center. And the center is just there to keep the arms together, but they operate independently. And so for me, it's, it's, a, nice, um, it's a nice metaphor for collaboration and for some kind of edge organization that that adapts to the context it's in, leverages the resources that are there, and yeah, build the starfish. Find non-humanitarian force multipliers, as you might say. I think that's a that's a fair analogy. Um, and if that is the meaning of sort of like the center, then I think that's fair enough. Um, 
I think a better analogy would be the entire forest itself or the entire forest and sea, you know, where there are different um, things happening um, and there, there are different um, actors within an ecosystem. Because as you say um, earlier, uh, problems can be caused by other things. So, so, so for example, a, a conflict in, in Yemen is not kind of like closed or exclusive to Yemen that also involves geopolitics, right? Um, and it involves other countries. Um, and so if that's what we want to kind of like solve, um, we, you know, it, we, we can't just look at um, one thing. Um, and, and again, this is why um, I think this is uh, the, uh, connected to what I said earlier about the blind spot of the old humanitarian sector, where it's so focused on, on the sector that it ignores what's happening. Um, it in, inadvertently ignores what's happening um, outside of it. What, what are, what, what's the private sector doing? What's the arts and culture sector doing? What's scientists and um, uh, the academia doing? Um, what are politicians doing? And I think, again, going back to kind of like the goal of a problem solved, if if our goal is to solve a problem, then we have to look at all these things. Yeah, I. so I think we actually agree on most of that. I think maybe where we, we're not quite on the same page is, I think you can actually, I, I do believe that you can, you can design some of these capabilities. I do think that you can, you can create institutions and, and, and actors who play a very specific role in that ecosystem and who create the right effects. And, and what really interests me is to try to zoom in on what are those, um, what are those capabilities. I'll give you a concrete example. So uh, in a previous episode, I spoke to a friend of mine called Gopi, who has this idea about uh, dual purposing travel assets in climate uh, vulnerable uh, tourism dependent uh, communities to do sudden onset response. So the hotel is used to house homeless people when the storm strikes. Uh, the tour guides become search and rescue people. And then the third leg is that you somehow put in the mix the global travel industry, which is thousands times bigger than, than what the humanitarian sector ever would be, and that you then drive part of their profits towards these communities to help fund that. So you, you create a a collaboration, a starfish linking the global tourism ecosystem, which is its incredible wealth, and by the way, reputational risk for creating climate change with vulnerable communities on the ground who have assets that can be used, uh, especially in situations where there are no tourists, uh, but a lot of destruction. Right. So for me, that's sort of an example of the type of platform you can build that would help drive uh, value towards vulnerable communities and my argument is that that's equally valuable for the Philippines, for Mozambique for the Caribbean for wherever right? And, and I think we can do that I think you can find those Lego blocks that can be plunked into the different areas and adapt to the context, exactly because they're Legos I think that's, that's really interesting um, I like the example um, and if it works in the context, I mean, like my knowledge of that particular example is limited. I don't know, you know, where that study came from or whatever. Um, if it works, that's great. Um, can you replicate it in other places? Maybe. 
Um, sounds feasible, but I don't know, right? We don't know until we sort of take up context. But what's interesting is you mentioned that it's like a starter. Lots of different actors trying to come together to make a solution for a problem. And I think in another analogy, we said earlier, yeah, it's Legos. I think what the new, let's call it for now again, aid system, the new aid system could be is if it could be the kind of like the nerves or like the, I don't, I, I don't want to say the bones of the starfish. Um, it sounds like <laughs> no. it is fundamental. And I, I don't think they have bones. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Not to make it sound like the most fundamental, but unimportant connector of the different sort of like arms. That could be what the sector is. Um, and it's not about replicating it in, in, in different, replicating that specific solution in, in different contexts, but about having that kind of like um, infrastructure, as I referred to earlier, in place. And I think, what does that look like? Uh, we, we could um, enumerate some of the basics. Um, it could look like money. Uh, it could look like knowledge. Um, and I think those two, are really important. It could look like technology um, in a very broad sense, right? Like not just um, high technology, but also kind of like low technology or um, techniques even. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, I think this infrastructure could, could have m money and money and uh, knowledge, especially. I think we can start with those two. Okay, so we need MasterCard to do some cash distribution programs maybe through WFP. Oh, I, sorry, I recreated WFP. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Um, so uh, we could have the private sector uh, providing the infrastructure for cash distributions. You would need somebody to then target, pick, pick the populations. How, how should that be done? Should that be self-targeting? I mean, like, yeah, potentially, like what you, you mentioned, um, if, if in a specific context, we found that the communities want um, cash distributions and that's what works for them, um, then, yeah, I think cash should be provided to them if they think that a corporation such as MasterCard is the one that is the best um, uh, kind of like actor to, to do this, then let's do it. Um, what's important is in this kind of like infrastructure, it is being led by the people and communities. And this is something that was not, or is rarely, um, to a large extent, not happening um, in the old system because the decision makers are uh, not the people and communities. Um, it's, it's the holder of the money. Um, and we were more concerned about the humanitarian sector and, oh, okay, let's, Let's really think about the, the sector instead of actually solving the problem. This business of, because it seems to me, if you want people to be in the driving seat, they, they need to have a choice. So who, who makes that choice? Is it the community? Is it individual? Is it like you can pick uh, the red one, the blue one, or the green one? Or is it as a community, we want to do this? How, how, what does that market look like? So I don't know. Um, I don't know how um, a community makes a choice. Again, um, it depends on sort of like the community, right? Like different communities will have different sort of like decision making um, systems. Um, and 
you know, I am not unrealistic. Um, I'm very pragmatic. Um, I understand that even within these communities, there might be inequalities. And so um, I think, I think we have to kind of like support the community in making the most equitable decision possible. And our support will, will depend on how that kind of like system looks like. Um, I do think, uh, and I think this is, this might be controversial to some, but I do think we have to then uh, stand for our beliefs or my beliefs at least of, of equity and helping the most marginalized. So I say this because then we're not, we're being transparent about our values. We're being transparent about um, the change that we want to see. Um, and so for me, I, I want to see equity between, for example, um, a marginalized group, uh, um, men and women, um, young and old, people with disabilities, etc. I want to see that. Um, and that's my own value. And so I will, as an individual actor, um, I might try to, to look for other people who share my values and we might form an organization. And then our organization will then um, sort of like fight for that value. Is, but isn't that what's happening today? Isn't that what civil society is? And isn't that what all the NGOs we have? Isn't that what they are? And that's great. I think that's great that um, different um, NGOs, you know, in that old system that we've destroyed, I think it's great that they have things that they want to fight for. Um, perfect. Um, I think the kind of like the balance that is missed in that old system is that because of um, the, the, the feedbacks and incentives, it became more about their organizational mandates and their organization um, rather than actually solving the problem. Um, and, the, you know, because of the way that it's set up um, and the different incentives, an organization who wants to increase their income will then, uh, you know, to some extent, make make the 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 you know things like needs assessment um and uh, applying for funding it, it, it's a bit perverse now because um they're focused on their organizational growth instead of actually starting from people and communities and asking them okay what problem do you want to be solved okay Abby, here is 10 million dollars you cannot spend it uh, on you can't give it away to people you have to build something that helps people what are you building and how will you avoid falling into the same pitfalls that you, you, you just identified for the, the old system? Um, I'll just give it to people in communities. Um, I mean, no, you, that's not that the rule is you can't do that. You have to build something that amplifies your impact. How do you do that? Well, but why, right? Like, why, why can't you give that? Um, why does it have to sort of like amplify an impact defined by who? Um, so for me, if I were the, the purse holder in this scenario, I have $10 million, um, the people in community, they have a, a problem that they want to be solved, a crisis that they want to address or prevent. Um, to be honest, just give it to them, right? Just give it to them um, and then engage. If, if then um, I see or, or an organization sees that uh, there is inequity within their communities, um, you know, engage, engage that community, but 
I'm not sure the best way to do it is to tie the money with whatever principles or goals I have that they might not share. So how does that fit with what you just said about wanting to target the most marginalized and actually having those values you wanted to fight for? How, how does that fit with what you just said now? I mean, as I've said, um, you know, I will engage in, in other ways, in, in, you know, in ways that potentially could work. So um, whether that's sort of like advocacy um, with local authorities, whether that's um, uh, more community campaigning, um, raising awareness, um, whether that's some other kind of like uh, activity. But then I won't person. I, I don't think it's wise uh, to personally tie that change Great. that I want to I, see and I the money that the communities and people I need. think that one of the fundamental problems we have with the old uh, sector is this sort of cradle-to-grave business model where you, you become, you, you handle the risk of a grant model. Uh, of a grant from 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 beginning to end, and you then have to do all sorts of things. There's a lack of specialization, and I fully agree with you that once money enters the equation, your role changes. And what I hear you saying is you are uncomfortable with having the power associated with having that much money. And what you would like to do is do sort of use your power to influence others, advocacy, sharing knowledge, whatever that might be. And that is how you would like to fight for your, uh, for your principles. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's about unintended consequences as well. Um, as you've said, it's, it's a process. Um, and with money, um, that just sort of like amplifies the power dynamics and that could lead to sort of like unintended consequences. Who, who distributes the money? I mean, decisions have to be made. We, we agreed that there's a lack of resources. We agreed that, that these crisis-affected communities somehow must have a transfer, not just of knowledge and, and accompanying and advocacy, but also of resources. Now, who does that? So um, if we're setting this new system in the real world again, so then the, the, the people who will hold the money would be those from um, presumably richer countries, right? Like, let's say, the UK, the US, um, European states, whatever. Um, and so they would be the ones making the decision. Now, their decision-making process in the old um, system was also perverted because, um, you know, you've got politicians um, who are making these policies. You've got the civil service who are enacting the policies of the politicians. Um, you've got NGOs trying to influence um, in very simplistic and, to be honest, unhealthy ways um, the domestic constituencies because of their fundraising or because of their campaigns. And so you've got these simplistic and unhealthy expectations from, from domestic constituencies who then influences politicians' policies. So it's like a, a, um, a vicious cycle. Um, and so you've got politicians saying, oh, well, we'll reduce aid because, you know, charity starts from home and we, we won't do this anymore in this particular place because the, 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 the people do not want that. And so that was the, what's wrong in the old. Which is, why, which is why we blew it up, right? But the question is, the question is now that you are here in your very admirable role of advocating, of challenging power structures and this and that, but you blew up that sector. Exactly. And so I think one, um, 
idea that might be able to work is that so we were we were thinking of of the different purposes of this um system that we've created right and i think one purpose of the system could be to facilitate the dialogue between um people and communities who may be at the receiving end of of the money with the domestic constituencies with people uh, and communities from there and actually make real this solidarity that we keep on saying we keep on saying oh it's based on solidarity but people don't know you know th there's no connection between these two public bodies and i think this could be a role for this new system so that's almost like a an airbnb platform we could call it united beyond nations sort of a thing <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be like a, a social media or like a internet platform, but this is something we could do. So really, you you you're very skeptical in terms of recreating the the institutions because you see those perverse incentives that that sort of drive, have driven some of those institutions and the political agendas and all of that that whole set of issues. It's interesting because it, uh, of course, there are organizations who have been trying to um, to work in that way. There are, for example, the, the adoption of children, not, not sort of actual adoption, but sort of uh, child sponsorship models, I guess uh, you call them, um, which is something that I've always, that I've found a bit strange often, that that, that seemed to be sort of a very individualized um, you know, let me be good to this person who really needs it, or this poor innocent child here, let me help that person. It's sort of, for me, that was an uncomfortable personalization of, or it was linking the recipient to, to strictly to the, to the giver in many ways. So I've never really liked those sort of things. And me too. That's not what I had in mind. Like, I think that's totally the kind of like the wrong way to do about it. Like, the intention is there, but how is, is problematic, right? Um, what I'm talking about is when you look at um, sort of like surveys um, done in the UK and in the US, people, so sort of like just citizens of, of the UK or US, don't know much about um, international development and humanitarian uh, action. They don't know how these things work. Um, and they're actually craving uh, to get more information um, uh, on how these things work. Um, and yet, uh, the kind of like the public facing communications of a lot of the, the NGOs in that old sector is give five pounds to save a life or give, give ten, $10 uh, and help, you know, lift up a family in poverty. I mean, I think we should change that. I think we should grapple with, with the complexity of what we're trying to do, which is to solve problems um, in a global way. Um, and I think, you know, if I, if I remember correctly, there is a lot of evidence now to say that uh, people can hold complex ideas. And in fact, you know, it's much better in the long term for people to sort of like hold these complex ideas and receive complex messages um, so that they can understand for themselves rather than relying on, on these simplistic feel-good messages. And I think by changing that, by actually sort of like raising um, sort of like awareness and understanding, then we might have some hope in then influencing how, how politicians can, can then make their, their, their policies that will be executed by, by the civil servants in, in that particular um, example.
Um, and I'm not saying that that's going to be perfect, right? Um, uh, it, it will probably have its own um, sort of like set of problems, like, for example, fake news or I don't know, like um, maybe maybe uh, some ways of, of, of um, telling the message won't work. Um, but I think that should be the, the direction that this new system um, tackles. Okay, let me let me try to summarize what we have discussed so far, and let's see if you agree with the way uh, I do that. I think we started out talking about the most important thing being that crisis-affected people themselves are in the driving seat, and that we, whoever we are, trying to also help in in, in this situation, that we we depart from an understanding of their resources and their right to be the masters of their own destiny, that they need to have freedom to be and to do. That that seems to be the most important thing we have said today. Then the second set of issues I hear us talking about is that once we have recognized this, this point of departure with, with uh, the agency of Christ-affected populations, then how do we then construct or support that? How do we as individuals help that? And And the answers you have given for me are very much around uh, sort of what a non-financial aid, I would say. You you talk about advocacy, you talk about knowledge sharing, you talk about connecting people, helping create better understanding globally, but you don't want to touch the transfer of, of sort of uh, currency or of, of resources in, in a financial resources. That, that that seems for you not to be a role. And so... Oh, sorry. I think, can I just clarify? I think... Funding should be transferred when asked. What I don't want to do is to tie that funding to some sort of objective, as in, oh, we'll give you funding if you work on, say, women or girls, or we'll give you funding if you do this. No, just give the funding. If people or organizations want to fight for their vision of the world, where, for example, um, equal rights for men and women, they can also do that in some other way, but just not tying it to the funding. But if a people a community asks for funding, then give it to them. It seems to be sort of the blank check model, which which might work, but isn't it more complicated than that? Wouldn't you have to, I mean, wouldn't you create a situation where maybe people would ask uh, for too much? Uh, who then decides, ah, no, you can only have 50% of what you ask for? Um, so I don't know. I mean, like, I guess, yeah, we have to grapple with um, realities. It's not going to be um, an infinite amount of resources. Um, and that's a separate conversation. Um, but I think this is the right direction. Again, it's not going to be, it's never going to be a perfect system um, that's free of, of um, loss or injustices. But I think we reduce the injustice and inequity um, if we genuinely let people and communities decide for themselves how they want to to spend the finances that they've asked for. Thank you for that that clarification. Then I, I think maybe the way to summarize what I hear you saying is that now we, we don't necessarily have to call this the humanitarian approach or right? What was it? Uh, problem solvers without borders? <laughs> yeah. Sort of thing. So what uh, what problem solvers without borders do is that they simply advocate on behalf of crisis-affected populations. They try to amplify the voices of crisis-affected populations and connect them to resources, but they don't themselves handle that th those resources. 
Is that, is that what you're saying? I think that's fairly close to, to what I'm saying. So problem solvers without borders will work with communities and people who are affected by crisis and basically just try to meet what they need, whether that's money, whether that's um, knowledge, etc. Um, if if the people and communities themselves ask, oh, actually, we don't have any of all of this. Can you actually do it yourselves? Then sure, um, do it. Again, there's no template. It's just the measure is the problem solved. And then the, the process is that it's led by people and communities. So I, I thought I sort of like it, right? But I think I think the problem that is left unsolved or the problems you will run into is that especially in some of the more severe crises that, that we see around the world, there's, there's, there's an obvious need for a massive transfer of resources, be that food, be that money, be that what, whatever. I mean, I, that's not really, I think, what we're discussing. And, and I, think the, I think the reason you say what you say is that you can see how if you, if you, the more you get sucked into the implementation role, the closer you get to the money and the power, the more compromised you also become by those by that that power and the more difficult it becomes for you to simply just be at the service of the community. And so I think you're making a choice to serve the community. But I, I think by doing that, you are leaving a number of uh, difficult issues around decision-making and transfer of power, who controls resources in the community, a whole range of issues, as, as you mentioned yourself, you know, Local communities are not unitary actors. They are themselves uh, not not equal. They're, they're very hierarchical often, and and so I th I think you I think you're making the right choice. But I think you then also leave unsolved a number of issues that the current humanitarian sector deals with. Um, I don't think so because if you listen to the the, the so many um, global south actors, so many people, humanitarian aid workers from the Global South, and I have, um, I, I've conducted dozens and dozens of interviews with them. And all they're saying is, we don't feel trusted and we can't make decisions for ourselves and we have to follow um, uh, the, the, the policies and the decisions of someone else. Um, why can't we do that ourselves? It's very colonial and very um, patronizing. Um, and I think that's what this kind of like new system personally, I think, um, is trying to address. Um, of course, that's going to open up into to, to, to new issues again, but at least you're, you're minimizing that power inequity, which is one of the biggest problems um, in, in, in the old system. And I think with this system, you know, like we can open up the conversation to uh, uh, interesting directions. Um, you know, you can ask, um, oh, uh, you know, so then anyone can, anyone can, can do as they please. Um, uh, or is there some, some sort of like professional standards or there, should there be standards? Um, I think there should be, I think standards, um, and regulation, uh, is somewhat good. Um, but again, like I would say that whatever standards um, we follow or whatever professional codes of conduct we, we have to abide by must be defined locally. Um, again, a, a, 
a recognition of a common infrastructure and common sort of like humanity, but uh, the decision should always be um, at the kind of like the contextual reality. Abi, thank you so much for coming on True Humanitarian and agreeing to this little thought experiment. I really enjoyed uh, discussing with you and thank you for letting me challenge you and thanks for your new ideas and your passion in driving forward this agenda. I, I really uh, I really admire that and um, so it's just been great to have you here. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. About the rights and the freedom to be for people to choose their path in life and dream souls of men beyond what you see stages are different for each who will lead cycles of outsiders that get fat checks fly in fly out of places with slums and jets ask better questions pick apart educate and knowing is safe we're here to build and debate we are we are searching for more open up your mind beyond rich or poor for the truth you've been warned humanitarian <laughs>